0: someone else has rather than them. It's pride, and pride is the enemy of the spirit. Peter and James both tell us God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul begins to warn against pride here. Verse 1 of chapter 6 continues, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So so run, flee from becoming conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Rather, be gentle in how we react and, 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 and treat one another. This is the opposite of pride in a person. And, and just again, I... I want to remind you of this as often as I can remind you of this. The subtitles, the big chapter numbers, the little verse numbers, they've all been added to assist us in finding things in the Bible. They are not the scriptures. Okay, so if it says above chapter 6, bear one another's burdens, that is not inspired word from God. That's a help to help you find a section that maybe you remember a verse in or something like that, or to help you kind of track what you've been reading, but it's not inspired word of God. This is a letter, and so when they received it, there was no parts broken apart. So we can be tempted in our reading to take Chapter 6 is a section that just belongs on its own. No, it's very connected to what's just been written. It's a letter. So we we keep it with what's just been said. And, and, And here he's saying, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. This is the opposite of pride in a person. I'm not at all saying that you can't be proud and confront someone's sin. You definitely can, but that's that's not what Paul is addressing here. He's not saying confront sin. He's saying come alongside those who have sinned, those who have fallen into sin, and be gentle with them. Help them. Love them care for them the body of Christ should take upon itself the people in the body of Christ should take upon themselves to restore a person who has fallen into sin it's one of the ways that a family expresses love and that's what the body of Christ is And notice the emphasis. The emphasis in the original language, it's not that the restoration should be done, it's how the restoration should be done. Paul's emphasis in this is on the word gently. And that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? A part of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Gentleness. And so if, if I am walking in step with the Spirit, I will be gentle in coming alongside those who have fallen into sin. Instead of becoming arrogant and irritating and envying one another, believers are called to exercise concern and love for others so, so that their goal is to build one another up in the body of Christ. Paul says, by the way here, you who are spiritual, he's not referring to some specific elite group in the church. All of the Galatian believers had received the Spirit. So he's saying, all you who have the Holy Spirit, a gentle and humble spirit doesn't provoke one who has sinned, but treats that person with dignity. And those who envy others often find joy in the sin of others. But Paul's highlighting the beauty of humility here. The beauty of humility in a follower of Jesus. It's a call to you, humility. Not only that, but your humility should be evident in how you think of yourself in these situations. Paul's saying, Realize that you, too, are prone to temptation. And the truth is, today, you might be helping someone who has sinned, but tomorrow, you may be the one being helped, or needing help. And so, again, do to others what you would want them to do to you in that circumstance. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Help to carry the burdens of others in the body of Christ. Now, this, this isn't limited to bearing the sins of others. Certainly, it includes that, but it's not limited to that. People have many different burdens that aren't sinful, Paul says come alongside and carry with them or carry them for them when they can't bear it themselves. And in doing this, Paul says you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Now what does that mean to fulfill the law of Christ? What is the law of Christ? Scott McKnight writes concerning this, we understand that The law of Christ is nothing other than, first, submission to the teaching of Jesus that fulfilled the law, and second, life in the Spirit, which is essentially love and which itself fulfills the law of Moses. Now that's certainly the sense we get from Paul here. What is fulfilling the law of Christ? Bearing one another's burdens and demonstrating love toward others. The law should always be interpreted through the lens of Christ and the gospel. Really, we have a description of what this looks like from the mouth of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The parable or the story of the good Samaritan. A follower of Jesus, walking in step with the Spirit, fulfills the law of Christ. When seeing a brother or sister stumbling in sin or fallen in some other way and does not go to the other side of the road in the way of the Levite and the priest. Rather, like the Samaritan, the follower of Jesus approaches, approaches the brother or sister in the spirit of gentleness. And does whatever he or she can, and so works through the problem with that person until they learn to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit leads toward the fallen, always. And why should we know that? Or why should we believe that? Why should we believe that the Spirit leads toward the fallen? Because Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. And we follow him. And we walk in his ways. John, in 1 John 2, verse 6, says, Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Whoever says that he walks by the Spirit ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walks. Now that's simple enough to understand, right? That's a simple verse to understand. It doesn't mean it's easy to do or obey, but it's, it's easy to understand. It's simple to understand. The Levite and the priest should have been deliverers of hope to the fallen man in the story. They should have been ones who would bear his burdens. But they weren't. They both knew the words of the law, but they didn't obey the words of the law. They didn't have the heart of the law written on their hearts. Micah 6, 8, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? These religious men in the story of the good Samaritan left their brother suffering. But again, here's why this is so important to flesh out within the body of Christ now. Because in the story of the Good Samaritan, you and I are not the priest, even though we we sometimes act like he did in this story. And we're not the Levite, even though we sometimes act like the Levite. And we're not the Good Samaritan, even though we are called to walk in the same way and act the same way the Good Samaritan did. We're not those things. We're not the Levite. We're not the priest. We're not the Good Samaritan in the story. We are ultimately the man who needed help. The story is about you and me, and that we're the one who was fallen. And Jesus, the true good Samaritan, did not pass you by. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were literally dead in our trespasses and sins in in which we once walked. But Jesus did not leave us that way. He did not pass by on the other side. No, He came to us He cared for us. He healed our wounds. He paid our debt. And Paul is saying to these Galatians that we display that kind of love and fulfill the law of Christ when we walk in the manner of Jesus, bearing one another's burdens, carrying the burdens of others. We are called now as those who were dead and left at the side of the road and revived and healed by Jesus. We're called to walk as the good Samaritan, our Savior Jesus Christ. Be like Him. Act like Him. Love like Him. Look like Him to those around you. Continues verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, Paul's talking about pride here and how pride interferes with life that is in step with the Spirit. Those who are prideful don't bear the burdens of others. They're concerned with themselves. Pride is is wrong. And even those who seek to restore those in sin and carry the burdens of others should check their own hearts for pride. Pride. But those who don't help others in their struggles are guilty of pride. Paul says they think they're something when really they are nothing. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now here's the tension in this passage, the tension between carrying each other's burdens and carrying one's own burdens, but it's not contradictory. Paul's not contradicting himself here. Followers of Jesus need to help each other in the struggles of life, but every follower of Jesus also needs to understand that they will answer to God individually. And part of that individual responsibility that we will answer to God for is carrying the burdens of others, whether we did or didn't. To follow the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit will mean to live in community with others and to care for the needs of others. It also means being responsible before God individually for our own lives. So, so as, he, as he does in other places, Paul calls them to examine their own lives carefully and realistically. Romans 12 verse 3 says, "For By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Be humble in how you examine your own heart just as you are called to be humble in carrying the burdens of others. Now when Paul writes here to test and then to Boast in oneself. What does he mean by that? Because it seems as if it contradicts all of his writing in this letter so far that being righteous by faith is what matters and what happens rather than somehow becoming righteous by works. The construction of this is actually a future tense. He, he will have boasting. So it most likely refers to final judgment. When we stand before the Lord, this boasting is likely not something you would be doing now. Be thankful and humble for whatever fruit you find in your own life, but the boasting will come in the life of the age to come, and then all vain and conceited boasting will have been wiped away. And this boasting is in God. 1 Corinthians 1.31, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians seven. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Not just that, the boasting is in the work that God has worked through us. So that Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Is it not those that the Lord had given to him? And then the boasting is in the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.4 that we're going to be getting to. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to him and I to the world. This is not boasting that's bragging in what I am able to do. It's a boasting in what the Lord is is doing. And who the Lord is. And then verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. On the day of judgment, we will each carry our own burdens. Thomas Schreiner says here, Paul merely says that even though we are to help one another as believers and bear each other's burdens, we finally carry our own load in this life. In other words, we are responsible for our own behavior. We will bear our own burden before the Lord. And that should lead us again to carry the burdens of others. Because we ought to see other people, whether in sin or in suffering, and think that person will stand before God. And I want him or her to have been loved well through this circumstance. And I will stand before God and I want to love well. But also, I want to say here there will be someone begging our defense if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, carrying our own burden, taking responsibility is not a hopeless verse. It would be hopeless if we were apart from Christ, but he came for that very reason. That he says of us, he or she is mine. Jesus, the good Samaritan, came to us, healed our wounds, paid the price for our debts. And it's his sacrifice His work, His love that will matter on the day of the Lord. Again, Thomas Schreiner says, often we in the West identify a fruitful Christian life with private prayer and reading Scripture while scarcely giving any thought to serving other believers. A life that is pleasing to Christ is humble and not self-absorbed and conceited. Instead of being caught up with ourselves, instead of these Galatians being caught up with themselves, we are called to care for others. What it means to live in the church of Jesus Christ is to help others as they face difficulties in life, as they seek and try to carry the burdens in their own lives. Our confronting or or correction of, of others will smell like conceit unless we sense that we ourselves are deeply flawed and are as prone to sin as anyone else. That's what Paul's saying here in this text. And what is our ultimate, ultimate motivation in that? It's that we would reflect the ultimate good Samaritan. And what did his carrying burdens for us? The ones beaten and left for dead. What did that look like? I think we we get a really clear picture of that in Isaiah 53. I'm just going to read this as we prepare to receive the bread and the cup today. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 12. And let's prayerfully consider our own hearts in this. Is this the love that we reflect to others in the body of Christ? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet, he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You're going to be dismissed by Rose to come and get the bread and the cup and take it back to your seats. Andrew is going to Play during this time, and then Andy is going to come and lead you in taking the bread and the cup, and let's prayerfully examine our hearts here before we take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, you're good, and what you do is good, and ultimately that was displayed through Jesus, who willingly came and laid down his life for us the good Samaritan who binds up the wounds of the broken, who pays the debts of those who have fallen. We praise you and we thank you and we ask you to help us, Lord, to be a people who love you and a people who walk by the Spirit and reflect you to those around us, Lord. And even in this time as we consider our own hearts, Lord, we really do want to be humble. We want to be people who are humble, who don't count ourselves first. But deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you and count others as more significant than ourselves. So help us, we pray, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.